point, you will turn with me to the book of John. We will be uh, picking up in verse 37 through 39. John 37. Uh, excuse me, John 7, verse 37 through 39 is our passage for today. Let's go ahead and read that, and then we will get right into it. Starting in verse 37, it says this, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who had believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. That is the word of the Lord. Uh, Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and the power that is within it. It is truth. It, it It was breathed out by you. It is everlasting doesn't change. Um, It is beautiful. It gives us what we need for this life. Uh, It tells us about who you are, who we are. And it's just a wonderful gift that we get to share with each other. And it brings life to us. Those of us who are um, regenerate have been born again. We were given new life. We were once dead in our sins, but now have been made alive with you. Uh, Your spirit has been granted to us. Uh, We have been sprinkled clean. We have been given a new heart. And now we love the things that you love and hate the things that you hate. But even in spite of that, Lord, we still have a flesh to deal with, that uh, temptations arise and um, uh, tend to try to lead us astray. But it is your spirit that has given us life and it more abundantly. So we don't have to give into those things. And it's through your word, Lord, that we receive this uh, quenching of our thirst, uh, that our eyes are opened and we get this new life. So we just praise you for that. Pray, Lord, that through this time that we spend in your word today, that you are glorified, that your people see you more clearly, uh, and that I do my best to stay out of your way. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and give you thanks. Amen. All right, church, so this this passage where we are today... um, If we go back to the beginning of chapter 7, this is during a festival called the Feast of Booths. And in the Feast of Booths, where we find ourselves today is the last day, what they know as the Great Day, which is the eighth day of this this feast. Now, on the last day of the the Feast of Booths, what happens is during the morning time, as things are wrapping up, we kind of have what we would call today, or if you were to go to the Olympics, like a closing ceremony. The high priest, along with the other priests, go down to the waters of uh, Siloam, and they get some fresh water. They go back to the temple. They go to the altar. They walk around it seven times, and they sing uh, what is known as the Hallel, which is uh, Psalms 113 through 18. And as they're singing this and doing this, uh, they eventually pour out this water along with the wine, which is the, the drink offering, and it pours out on the grounds, and it represents the blessing of the Lord as it goes forth through the land. Now, uh, this is a, a beautiful ritual in the fact that it's, it's symbolic of something else. So we kind of had some discussion of, 
of symbolism and what things, how they point to Christ uh, during Sunday school. Um, but with our passage today, we get some of that as well. So I kind of wanted to spend a little time talking about that because as the Israelites were packing up their things and, and these closing ceremonies were going along, this is, this is the, the uh, background, this is the, the, uh, the scene that is going on as all this is going on and where we find ourselves today. Um, so my hope as we go through this passage is that we see the significance in Jesus' words through this uh, ceremony and then also its implications for us today. That, that, is, the, that is my goal as, as we read through these four verses. So um, I hope to do that through asking a couple of questions, asking and then answering these questions. So the first one that we are going to discuss would be, what does it mean to thirst? Secondly, what does it mean when Jesus says to come to me? And then third, what is living water? What is, what is that? And now I believe these three questions are, are find their fulfillment in what we discussed today as well as uh, they get answered in, um, in our sermon summary. And so our sermon summary is this, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I think we're going to see all of this today in just these uh, five, uh, excuse me, four short verses. So let's start um, with the first question. What does it mean to thirst? Now, for us who live here, maybe either lived our whole lives or spent any amount of time in South Texas, I think we know what thirsting is uh, as far as a physical thirst. I mean, we normally have seven, eight, maybe nine months of, of, uh, of summer, of heat uh, with high humidity. So if we spend any time outside, we're going to recognize thirst pretty quickly. Uh, but you know, when we think about that, is that the thirst that Jesus is speaking of here? Well, we're going to say no. It wasn't the, the thirst he spoke of uh, when he spoke to the lady at the, the well in chapter 4, and it's not the thirst that he's speaking of here. Uh, but when we think of thirst, there's a couple of things that, that come to mind. If someone was to ask you about some word association with thirst, I mean, you may think of being exhausted, overheated, tired, or in desperate need of something. So I kind of wanted to as we think about thirst and the topic that we have at, uh, that we have at hand, I wanted to uh, bring up a topic, uh, a doctrine, if you will, uh, that is introduced in this passage. Well, I shouldn't say introduced, that is discussed in this passage. And uh, that's this, types and shadows. If, if you're unfamiliar with those terms, don't worry about it. But to keep it simple, what, what we say when uh, we use the term types and shadows, which are actually biblical words, it's the idea that a person, a place, or a thing is symbolic of, of something else, right? If you think about the ark, um, uh, David, or uh, Mount Sinai, you know, there's, there's different things, people, or instances that point to a greater reality. Uh, so I kind of wanted to, to give us an example of that because I, I believe we see some, some of that uh, being fulfilled in Christ. So here's an example of that, the sacrificial system of the Mosaic Covenant, right? We all know that they offered bulls and goats, uh, birds of different type, grain offerings. There was all these things that were offered unto the Lord. And when the blood was shed through the bulls, the goats, the lambs, these things were done to, to cover sins, right? If there was a sin that was, that was committed, then they would bring these animals and they'd sacrifice them and shed, put their blood uh, upon the, the altar, now, they pointed to something because they were just a shadow of things to come. So I wanted to, to see how we find that in Scripture. We see its fulfillment and how this was just a, 
that was for a season and then it pointed to something greater. So in Hebrews chapter 10, concerning the sacrificial system being a shadow of a greater reality, we see this uh, being laid out for us actually in scripture. So I wanted to read verses one through four real quick. It says this, for since the law has but a shadow of the things, the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifice that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So when we, when we think about that, in the Old Testament times during this Mosaic covenant, bulls and goats, lambs, all these things, their blood was being shed constantly. Uh, this was a, a normal thing. Every year they would have to offer these sacrifices um, for sins because they never atoned for their, for their sins. They never fully paid for their sins. They were to point to something else. So what were these sacrifices a shadow of or what did they point to? Well, we see that that, that was Christ, right? Christ was the fulfillment of this Old Testament system that was set up. And we see that laid out a little bit later in Hebrews chapter 10 and verses 11 through 14. It says this, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for, from the, that time until his enemy should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Now what that is telling us there. The priests, as it said, they stood daily in the, in the uh, offering their service, sacrificing all these animals daily. If, if you know anything about the temple or the tabernacle in the Holy of Holies, there was no chairs in there. As the blood was shed and the altar was sprinkled with blood, there was no seats uh, other than the, the ark had a seat that was for God. There was no seats for these priests to sit down in because it symbolized you have a constant work to do. But Christ, after he offered his sacrifice, he sat down at the right hand of the Father, fulfilling that, right? So the, this system that was in place pointed to Christ, and it found its fulfillment in him. The ceremonial laws, these pointed to the greater reality that's found in Christ. So we take that thought, that is, those are what we see, these shadows of these greater realities that are fulfilled in Christ, and we come back to our passage today. When the high priest takes this water and pours it out on the altar and that water goes forth onto the grounds, in the minds of the Israelites, this is pointing to God's ultimate fulfillment of the, his blessing going forth. Right? That's what's in the minds of these uh, Israelites. So with that in mind, Jesus stands up and then cries out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Right, a literal reading of that verse, it's probably in your footnotes in your Bible, would say it this way. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and let him who believes in me drink. As the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus is offering those who thirst living water that flows from his heart. Right, he is telling us that this greater reality of this ceremony that's being performed right before him, this object lesson, if you will, is pointing back to him. So what does this tell us about thirst? What, is, what does it mean to thirst then? Well, thirst is this recognition of the drought within our soul, the emptiness in our heart or some exhaustion that we experience 
in trying to achieve something that seems unattainable. It is a, a spiritual thirst that Jesus is speaking of in this passage. You know, if we think about it, if you know, you've probably been there just like I have. How many times have we tried to, to do the right things or keep doing the right things or um, fail at doing the right things or um, see our shortcomings and just kind of realize like, man, this is, this is just too much. I, I'll never get past this. I, you know, this part of my life, this sin that I, that I deal with, whatever it is, this hindrance in my life, it's just, I just can't get past it. I, I can't get past this thing uh, in my life. That is a, that should be a, a, a thirst for us. We thirst to see this thing eradicated. Uh, we cannot achieve conquering this on our own. It should point us back to Christ, recognizing that it is him uh, who we find our fulfillment in, and it's him who has conquered these things in our lives. So this thirst is, is just that. It's us having a healthy recognition of our shortcomings, the, the, the bankruptcy in our soul, that we can't achieve uh, this righteousness that, that we need uh, to set us free from this sin that we've committed. So let's, with that in mind, with understanding what thirst is, let us talk about what it means for Jesus to come to, for us to come to him. When he says, come to me, what does this mean? Well, one thing that it doesn't mean is that Jesus can't save us on our own, on, on his own. He needs us to, to do something. He's waiting, he's waiting for us to do something. Like it's a 50-50 deal. Like you, you come this far and then I meet you there. Or he's waiting for us to reach out his hand uh, and then he's going to grab us. He, throw, he threw out the life preserver and we're drowning and he's waiting uh, for us to come to him. That is not what he's saying here when he says to come to me. For scripture tells us otherwise. Scripture tells us that the Lord is mighty to save. It also tells us that he came to seek and save the lost. He came to seek and save the lost. Now, there's many passages in Scripture that speak of this effective call of God. Uh, we see it in the Old and in the New Testament. In John 10, 27, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. In Isaiah 55, 11, uh, the word of the Lord says this, My word will not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Now, when, we, when, uh, excuse me, when Jesus calls and you're his sheep, you'd come to him, right? I mean, that, that's what the word says. So what does this mean? This means that we recognize our sinfulness. We recognize our brokenness. We recognize this thirst that is deep within us. We recognize a desperate need for something that we can't attain on our own. So when Jesus says, come to me, what is he saying? What does it mean when Jesus says, come to me? If he says, those who thirst you know, if, if any of you thirst, come to me. What is he saying? Well, he says what he means by that is when we thirst, when we are at our wits end, when we recognize that we have either hit rock bottom or we're just done trying to achieve these things on our own, we come to him by faith. Right? We don't come to him by feet. We come to him by faith. This, this, this is a, a, um, a, wonderful, a wonderful truth. We, we come to him in belief in him and the one who sent him. Right? We have this recognition that he is who he says he is. What he says is true. The evidence is there. It's been laid out before us. It's been laid out to the people of this time. All we have to do is believe in it. Now, when I, when I say that, I think about our passage from last week. Jesus is speaking openly in the, comp, in the temple complex, saying who he is, preaching uh, that he is the truth, 
and all the religious leaders, the crowds, the authorities, the, the officers, everyone sees him speaking and no one is able to refute him or stop him. Right? What he is speaking is truth. All they can do is suppress the truth. That's all they could do. And, and we talked about that last week. Now, for us, since the same truth is being presented to us, what we are called to do is to believe. Right? That same thirst that they have, that Jesus speaks of, we should have the same thing. Now, when I, when I think about that, I kind of think about those who maybe you've been there, maybe you've got uh, someone that, that you've had these discussions with. I think all of us have friends or family that are not believers or or maybe they've fallen away. And um, one of the many, I guess, excuses or things that we hear is, is, um, is maybe this, you know, like, well, you know, I, I know I should probably uh, be in church. You know, I know that's, that's the right thing to do, but I just, you know, there's, I've got some things going on in my life that I just need to get straight. You know, I need to work these things out. I need to clean myself up uh, before I go to church. And so, you know, when I, when I think about people that say that, you know, I, I think about the thirst that we're talking about here, coming to him. Um, and, and I do believe that those people have a, a genuine or a sincere thought on what they are, what they mean by that. You know, where they're like, you know, I just don't want to come with all this baggage. Uh, but in, in all reality, it's, it's a misguided thought. It's, it's us fooling ourselves because no one comes to Christ clean. None of us come to him after we've gotten right. If, if we are able to get right apart from him, then there was, there's no need for him, right? I mean, if, 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 that was a, if any of us was better than anybody else, uh, then, then we would be the savior. But that's not the case. All of us are in desperate need of Christ. We all need to be cleaned uh, by him. We are unable to do this on our own. And one of the, the I guess, examples uh, that I'll use that, that if... if um, Maybe this will help you. Maybe this will be one way you can help explain this to someone is think about, you know, we're, we're given bright, white, shiny clothes, whether it's a dress for the ladies or a suit for the guys. Right. We just got a full on just the brightest, whitest outfit that you've ever seen in your life. And our sin, uh, scripture describes it as being crimson and scarlet. Imagine just a big punch bowl being dumped all over you. Right. You have this bright, white, shiny suit and you got this punch bowl and you're supposed to go to this party. And you're like, well, you know what, let me, let me try to clean this myself. I'm going to douse it in bleach and OxyClean and whatever, whatever your method is, baking soda, uh, whatever, whatever you think can work. And you, you're trying to get it back to where it was. I'm, I'm going to get out the stains. I'm going to you know, soak it overnight, whatever the case may be. Uh, and you, you are hoping that your works, the, the, the things that you're doing to that suit, will not only clean it, but will remove all the stains from it. And not only remove all the stains from it, but we'll, it'll get it back to as clean and as shiny as it was before. That, that's, that, that's that mindset. Well, I can do these things, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come to him. But what thirst does, when Jesus says, come to me in, if anyone is thirsty, what that does for us, that is telling us, well, you know what? I, I'm, I'm filthy. I'm, I'm filthy, uh, but when I go to this party, I'm coming with that mindset that he's going to make me clean. I, I, I just can't do it on my own. I'm, I, I recognize that I'm filthy. I'm not going to walk in here and fool myself and make, make a fool of myself thinking that I'm better than what I am. Even if I can get it for the 99% clean, if I was given that white suit and I was supposed to keep it pristine and I was unable to do that, I'm getting booted out, right? So the, the, the desire of our heart should recognize that it is not me that can do it, but it's Christ that has already done it. 
And as I recognize that, I come to him. I come to him knowing that it is him who is going to make me clean. Now, the problem with a lot of us today, we have that mindset or we just run from our problems, right? We, we just, we run from them uh, we, we, or we don't talk about them. You know, we sweep them under the rug and then it's like, like it never happened. And once that sting wears off from that initial thrust of whatever's going on, once it wears off and people stop talking about it, well, then we just keep going and we act like it never happened. The only problem with that is that when sin is committed, right, it's going to weigh upon you. It, it latches onto you. It, didn't, it doesn't go away. You just get used to the weight of it is all it is. Now, whether we choose to believe that or not, it, 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 it's true, right? We can suppress that truth or we can uh, accept it and, and come to him understanding that we have a thirst that needs to be quenched. No amount of sincerity uh, or, or wanting to get right on your own will justify you before God. When we come to God, we come to him by faith. We come, we come to Christ by faith. I like the, the hymn, um, now I forget the name of it, but the words are what, what get me. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. There is absolutely nothing we can add to our salvation or take away from it. Uh, it is God's doing. He does it perfectly. He does it completely. Uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing, but once we start putting our dirty hands on it, that's, that's when we muddy up the water. But that's how we come to him, right? We understand the thirst, and then we come to him. Now, we're going to go ahead and move on to our last question as far as what is living water. But before we discuss that, there's one, there's, there's a couple of things within this passage that, you know, if we're preaching for hours on end, we can probably cover some of them or most of them, I would say. But uh, for the sake of time and for the sake of you as the listeners, um, we're just going to cover one of them. And so there's, there's a couple of things that critics, you know, people who deny the sufficiency of Scripture or its inerrancy, which means that there's no error in it and that, that it's, it's complete. Those who are opponents of what we believe to be true about Scripture would, would use this passage <clears throat> excuse me, to try to poke holes in, in who Christ is and in, in, in what the Word is. And so I wanted to, to take one of those and, and kind of talk on them real quick before we get into what our last question is. So let's reread the, the passage. It says this, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, one, the thing that I wanted to emphasize is kind of how I emphasize it in the passage, as the scripture has said, right? As the scripture has said, if you were to take the quotation after Jesus saying, as the scripture has said, out of, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. If you were to Google that and see if you can find it in the Old Testament, you won't find it there, right? You won't find those words in the Old Testament, there's no verse that says that. So immediately you're like, what, Jesus, is Jesus lying? Is he, like, what's, what's going on with him? Why, why would he say this if we can't find those words specifically in the Old Testament? So I'm going to let y'all think about that for a little bit. No, I'm just kidding. So, I mean, so that, that's the thing, right? You're like, well, you know, this would be a verse where if, if someone is 
you know, a practicing atheist or agnostic or whatever, someone who just refused to accept God's word for what it is could point to this passage and say, you see this right here? This is why I don't believe the Bible, because it's full of contradictions and lies and errors. I, I, I can do I can do bad on my own. So I don't need this. I don't need any of this stuff. Right. So so how do we answer that when we see as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water? I'm going to ask y'all. I'm just kidding. So, um, so what, where do we get that? All right. So, well, Jesus, normally, one, one way that we would approach this, and I'm sure there's plenty of others, there's way, way more smarter people in this world than me. Uh, so there's definitely a couple of ways to approach it. But one way would be this. Uh, typically, when, when the writers of the New Testament, Jesus included, are quoting the Old Testament, specifically, they'll say, as it is written, boom, right? There, it's, it's there. It's written this way. Uh, Jesus here says, as the scripture has said, this is speaking to the totality of scripture, right? If I was to say the scriptures say this, right? Jesus is God. Uh, There are three persons within the Trinity, right? The scriptures do say that. They clearly teach us that over the the totality of all of scripture, right? So Jesus here is, is, is essentially quoting multiple passages. And so where these verses kind of find their uh, their origins in a couple of places would be the uh, would be this Isaiah 12, Isaiah 44, uh, 49, 58, Ezekiel 36, 47, and then in Joel 3. A lot of these there's specific verses and passages within these that speak to these waters that are flowing that bring about a blessing and, and things like that. They all kind of if you were to take all those passages, you could come up with what Jesus is saying here. So if someone was to question you about this, which you may never run across that, or you may, uh, you would have an answer for them. You know, as Christians, 1 Peter 3, 15 tells us we are to give a reasonable defense for the hope that is within us, right? This is, a, this is given a reasonable defense for the hope that's within us. He is, this is the way that, that uh, this is one of the a few ways I, I would venture to guess that we can defend our faith concerning this uh, portion of scripture. So getting back on track. Uh, what is living water? What is its significance? And why is the spirit described this way? Well, I like to help us understand what it is by understanding what it's not. Uh, t- doing that first kind of helps uh, put some parameters on, on what living water is. So living water is, is in opposition or opposed or the opposite of death, right? We can't say death water if you want to go there, but death, right? Death is the opposite of life. You know, what greater enemy is there in life? You know, what, what scares us the most in life? If we have a near accident where we, we miss and our life flashes before our eyes, why we get scared like that is because we think we're going to die, right? If somebody was to flash a gun in here that we didn't know who he was, the fear isn't in the gun or the person. The fear is that person could shoot me and I could die, right? I mean, that, that's death is the enemy. Death is where fear lies. Uh, so that, that is the problem, right? Um, Romans 3.23 tells us this, for the wages of sin is death, right? Sin brought about the curse of death. I was talking to a brother earlier, and and we were kind of talking about uh, Father Time being undefeated, right? All of us succumb to time. I mean, eventually we we, we have an expiration date, date, uh, and when our time comes, that's it. You know, um, modern medicine has done wonderful things for us to extend life, to help us save life. Uh, but eventually there, there comes a time where our numbers or God calls us home for those who are believers or we take our last breath here on earth. 
for, for all of us. That, that's that's a, uh, a truth that all of us will experience. But what we must recognize is that death is, is it's, it's evil, right? It's, it's an evil thing that we, that we all experience because it's, it's part of the curse, right? Jesus conquered sin and death. I mean, that, that's what scripture tells us. He conquered sin and death. It is not a good thing. It hurts. It destroys families. Uh, it brings out the worst in people. There's really nothing good inherently in, in death. And when we experience death, it's not a, it's not a good thing. <clears throat> but when I think about death and I think about my sin, right, not yours, but when I point back to myself and I think about sin, uh, that's exactly what I deserve. Right? When I think about sin, uh, my sin deserves punishment, and that punishment is death. You know, if the wage, wages of sin or the payment of sin is death, that's, that's what I deserve. That's what you deserve. That's what we all deserve. Because we've all sinned, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. That is what is uh, deserved by us. But listen to what Jesus says later on in the gospel according to John in chapter 10 about those who come to him. It says this, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. So what does this mean for Jesus to lay down his life? He is saying, I will die for my sheep. I will take their place in the punishment of death. Their sins, their punishment, everything that was owed to them was nailed to my cross. The wrath of God was poured out upon me. And I cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right, this is what Jesus said himself. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The sinless lamb of God, sinless, the sinless lamb of God was slain for my sins. Right, the sins that I committed, we make that personal, right? I, I can point out to you, but I'm just as culpable. I'm just as culpable for the sins that I've committed against God. So what is, if, if that's what death is, and this is what Jesus has done for me, what, what is the significance of this living water? It means it's everything. It's everything. We were owed death and we were given life. We thirsted and he gave us living water. We were once lost, but now we are found. We were dead, but we are now alive. Christ became flesh and dwelt among us. He died in our place and he sent the Holy Spirit to be our comforter, our helper, to make our heart his dwelling place. That, that's reason to rejoice. Amen. That, that, is, that is a beautiful truth. When we see the light of who God is in comparison to the darkness that, that we were and that we are at times, it is a beautiful, beautiful truth. So as we close, what should we do with all of this? If, if we understand what thirst is, if we understand uh, what to come to him means, and we understand what this living water is, what, what should we do with all of this? With our understanding of just these four verses here, what should we do with this? Well, my exhortation, my encouragement, my command that I give to you would be the same words that Jesus spoke. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Why would, I, why would that be the encouragement? Well, going back to our sermon summary, because blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Right? If you're thirsty, 
hungry, tired, heavy laden, burdened. The only one that can quench your thirst and give you rest is Jesus Christ. It will not be found anywhere else. We must turn to him. We must repent of our sins and trust and believe in his gospel, his beautiful gospel that sets us free from all the bondage that man seeks to put us in, that we seek to put ourselves in. So that is my encouragement to you today through our passage. Uh, Let us live in light of that and and continue to meditate on God's word, understanding that it is him who is the living water. It is him that that quenches our thirst. It is him who we come to by faith. And it is him who has set us free from all the bondage of sin that we found ourselves in. Let us pray.